Ciao, buongiorno, and benvenuti. We're in Pescara, the capital of sun, sea, and sand on the Adriatic coast of Abruzzo, fringed by twinkling waves and snow-capped Apennine peaks, and not a breath of wind. It's the opening stage of the Giro d'Italia today, an individual time trial finishing in the old town of Ortona. So expect road closures and disruption on all approaches to town, in particular on the SS16 through Bogata Marina and San Vito Chiatino. And slap the sun cream on today, folks, if you're heading out to watch the bicyclist's bicycle with highs in the mid-twenties. It's going to be hot, hot, hot. And so to get you all in the mood, here's Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds with The Weeping Song. Matt Stevens, who I've corralled into joining me, um, David and Pete, uh, on occasions throughout the month of uh, May. Might be quite frequent, Matt, um, as your contributions, I have to say. It's, I'm really enjoying it. I, I love having a little, uh, little pod chats. And um, we're going on another voyage, aren't we? Uh, another Giro voyage. But no, I'm, I'm really I'm properly excited. Um, yes, I always am. And what a way to start. We're, we're sat in a cafe, got three hours before the start of the time trial. Blue sky, I can just see the sea. Um, I'm just, I'm properly, I'm excited. Yeah, the weather forecast was grim before the Giro. Like, I, 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 you know, about four or five days ago, I looked at it and it suggested it was going to be pouring with rain all of the opening week. And especially today, there were thunderstorms predicted for today. But it's bright blue skies. I think the temperatures will be in the mid to high 20s later on today, won't they? So it's, it's going to be warm. I've got a uh, factor 50 on. Me too. Uh, Actually, I've got factor 25. I've got, I've doubled up, doubled yeah. up factor 50, essentially sunblock. But no, it's lovely. We, we were sharing a hotel, weren't we, with the Sudal Quickstep chaps. Uh, and uh, you're just talking about um, um, the the timbre and tone and pitch yeah. of Patrick Lefebvre's voice. What, what, what did you observe there? Well, um, we were at breakfast, and he was sat with Andrea, the press, the chief press officer for communications. Al- Alessandro. 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 I'm glad I didn't say good morning, Andrea. Uh, <laughs> Alessandro. Um, and I had my back to them, but I knew that they were sat there, and then I couldn't hear exactly what Patrick Lefebvre was saying. But it, it was like this low constant thrum or hum akin to being on a ferry and trying to get to sleep but the warm the kind of warm sound of the engine reverberating through the cabin it's a little bit like that very comforting though yeah. very comforting so if you're ever struggling to get to sleep you maybe just phone up Patrick Lefebvre and get, get him to talk to you on the yeah. phone or even like if he's got the time come around to your hotel room and you could just like have a cuddle and just get him to tell you a bedtime story because he's quite a cuddly chap as well isn't he? he's got a lovely kind of like Father Christmas sort of face I might just get him to record just a minute of random Flemish, and then just put it on a loop and just go to sleep to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, actually, Giro. Yeah, no. To, before we leave the Patrick Lefebvre subject alone entirely, mm. we had a we had a beer yesterday evening, didn't we, with a, an agent whose name we won't mention, but um, who was coming a Belgian agent, big time Belgian agent, who was yeah. coming over here to try and sell riders. One rider in. In particular, we, we later found out when his phone rang, um, and I looked at the name on the phone, um, to try and uh, do some business with Patrick Lefebvre. And that was quite interesting, wasn't it? I thought it was quite an interesting chat. It, it was. Well, I, I bumped into them, and they t- recognised me, and I sat down as a photographer there as well, uh, Ramon, who was Christophe there. Ramon. Christophe yeah. Ramon, who was a, well, a wonderful photographer. I had a really nice conversation. That just evolved. You came and joined us. But yeah, he, this agent, who, who shall remain nameless to, to protect him, um, otherwise... It could get, things will get real. Uh, no, he's got no. He's got fifty riders on his books. No riders here. For but the first time ever. For the thing, first yeah. time ever. But come here to start. It's almost like at the pre-chat 
of the chats that are going to happen at the Dauphiné and then the tour. And I thought all the conversations happened at the tour. But, That's really but, interesting. Yeah, but he'd yeah. been having quite deep <clears throat> conversations about riders who are out of contract now, at the beginning yeah. of the Giro, yeah. uh, just to start those conversations, which will evolve as in, in the coming months. But he was kind of saying that Patrick Lefebvre actually, despite all the brusque kind of exterior, um, and, and his famously hard bargaining. Actually, when it comes down to it, and you you, know, you have to ink the contract, for, uh, he, he has a strong sense of what riders are worth, actually, and it's kind of fair, and he's a good judge of horse flesh in that sense. I think just look at his track record, regardless of the sometimes the public persona we see, just look at the... Look, nobody's ever said a bad word about, about the team. Everybody gets paid, of course. There's a um, He knows what he's doing. Uh, that's, not but, to, that's not totally true, well, is it? They're, they're occasionally like... I've got Bennett. Because Bennett, Bennett, Cav. I guess there's not <laughs> a few, actually. I'll yeah. just retract that previous statement. But I think what I was trying to say quite badly, Ned, was the fact that it's a solid team and, and, he, and he's got, he's not, hasn't got the biggest budget in the world, but just look at what they've done over the last 20, 25 years consistently, year in, year out, as the squad evolves, morphs, changes. Uh, there's consistency there. And, um, and he, he's fiercely proud of what he's done at that squad. And clearly does a good job. And, you know, while we were talking, actually, about Patrick Lefebvre and his team with this agent, the kind of penny dropped with me, a really obvious penny that has been sort of uh, dropping for a long time and then it slotted into place. And we were talking about their underwhelming classics campaign where they didn't land a big fish at all, did they? Uh, with the exception of Remco coming and saving their season with Liège, um, which is obviously quite a significant fish. Yep. But Remco's, you know, so the penny that dropped was the reason why is that their, their great classic squad of the Gilbert era of a couple of years ago, you know, Stubar, when they were all attacking for fun and winning for fun, that is now, they're not being replaced. They're moving on and he's not replacing them because it's shifted. The entire project has shifted now. Um, and it's all about Remco. And it's all about actually the Giro and then the Tour de France. And that's borne out by what is a really surprising team when you look at it, the, the Sudal Quickstep team that they have here. It's they're a lot of climbers, you know, uh, whereas they only used to have one or two. There's kind of four or five now. Yeah, Van Wilder, uh, Peter Seri, some, uh, uh, Jan Hurt, who signed specifically to come across exactly, for this team. Exactly, that kind of signing. And so for every Hertz who comes, that decreases your chances of the, in the classics. It's a, it's a team that has evolved. Um, the Belgian press look at it as more than growing pains because that they were they were notable by their absence and they used to dominate the classics primarily on the back foot. But as you say, Remco saved them. But if if Remco wants to do what he has stated he wants to do, and first off the bat it was win Liège, win the Worlds, win all the Grand Tours, he's kind of halfway there <laughs> already and has doubled up at Liège, um, and he's still very young. Signed to a long he's signed to a long term contract with a place he feels happy, uh, where he can express himself and. He's going to build a team around. There will still be space for the classics, but they'll, they're, they're, they're turning into a GC team and need to. Uh, and I, I still don't think they're a fully formed GC team yet, but that's a work in progress. And that doesn't happen just in one season. Well, should we go and commentate? Should we, should we go some? and do some talking about um, Giro time trials? Yeah, because this is a hostage to fortune. I mean, Rebco might have an absolute stinker at a time. Actually, he's not going to, is he? He's going, he's to, he's going to go really no. well. I think he's going to go quite fast today. I don't know whether it's... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to predict anything, no, but no, it's going to be... It's it's at the most... Yeah. I think it's the most exciting Giro for a few years. I really so do. do I, so do I. Real buzz about this. We've made our way to the finish line and in Ottona, right in the middle of town. And um, Matt, it feels really kind of like hard to describe, isn't it? Oh, apart from the massive whiff of urine yeah, that I've just got a strong, out of it. A strong whiff of urine, which kind of just nearly took the edge of that statement. <laughs> but no, uh, you are right. It's, it does feel, it's a particular buzz. It's quite smelly, isn't it? <laughs> but still great at the same time. But no, it's a... Uh, yeah. It's, it's a bit of a cliche, carnival atmosphere, kind of is, yeah. it feels great. We came, uh, we traditionally, can always see the finishing straight. Our 
Contribute's just set back, but we've still got great views of the finish, but loads of people here already. We were wandering down casually, you were wheeling your Brompton and we were just turning up for work basically yeah. about an hour ago and, um, and a rider was just finishing their reconnaissance, came through the finishing line and I had the same thing as you, I thought, what's that kid? You couldn't quite yeah. recognise it and in a flash it turned out to be the Belgian national time trial champion who is... Remco Evenepoel. And what did he do? He just he gave us a wave. Well, you, I think. Yeah, I just, yeah he just yeah, gave us a little wave. It's nice. Little acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, uh, it's building. And I can't wait to get... I can't wait to do our job, which is basically chatting about something we love. Yeah. So I still can't quite get to grips with that. I'm but. more excited <laughs> uh, about this year than about any other edition. You've done ten of them one way or another. This you raced one. and Yeah, my tenth in various capacities. Yeah, I think this is my fourth or fifth world feed gig and then yeah ridden it yeah. and uh, I love it and it just I think I'm enjoying it year year on year it just get you just become you feel you really do feel a part of it I mean we talk about the tour of course it's a different beast entirely but you you do feel part part of it here whereas I think sometimes the tour you feel like a bolt on but this you feel like part of it I don't, I don't know how that how that is but it's a very special race mate yeah I often feel like a bolt on or a bolting in fact. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Yeah, Ortona itself got really interesting. I don't know if you know much about it, Matt. Um, You're going to tell me, because I, I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't know too much about it. No, no, fair, fair dues. Um, not at all, really, until kind of like, I think my interest in it was piqued by uh, when I was at the team presentation in Pescara the other day, and I realised that Pescara is basically a new city, like built in the 60s, cause it, and then I thought, well, oh yeah, we're in Abruzzo, Abruzzo was, should we get away from that? And the smell of the we as well, we'll just that's move, okay. We'll move slightly. Um, and I thought, well, what actually happened here during the Second World War? I did know that Abruzzo was because if you read, if you read, um, oh, what's it called? Um, uh, Catch Twenty Two, right? Yeah, that book is all set in the, uh, you know, in the American Air Force, course, and they're going yeah. on bombing missions over um, Abruzzo, I think. Um, and so I looked up, you know, about what had happened to Pescara, and then we came and had lunch in Ortona uh, a couple of days ago, and I noticed that Ortona was. With the exception of you know one beautiful 19th century building that we're standing next to, is festooned with pink balloons and a, a pink crab right yeah, up at the top as crab, well. Yeah, the crab uh, is a local speciality, and it's smiling at us as, as we as we speak. But by and large, it, it too um, has been rebuilt post-war. Um, the Battle of Ortona. So in December 1943, um, the Germans finally succumbed to the, the Allied push northwards, and uh, this part of Abruzzo was flattened. Um, there was a big battle that lasted eight days, a, a siege, if you like. It was Italy's Stalingrad right. um, in Ortona. Uh, and actually, it was the Canadian army that uh, took Ortona after eight days uh, besieging the Germans. But it was a, a brutal conflagration here um, that ended up really with hand-to-hand -hand fighting in the streets. Uh, the Germans, you know, relinquishing control only at the very last minute. And they went from street to street. And there was this technique that the Canadians, not just the Canadians, but several armies at the same time had developed. Uh, but the Canadians brought to bear in Ortona a, a technique called mouse holing, which involved uh, secretly or, or furtively or quietly planting an anti-tank mine on the side of a building in which you suspect the enemy is, is hiding out and detonating it and blowing a big hole in the, in the side of the building and then and charging in, like throwing Fire in grenades, wow. throwing in grenades and then charging in and then literally hand-to-hand -hand combat and weeding out the enemy. And that des destroyed Ortona, destroyed so many lives. I think the, um, there's a Canadian war cemetery just out of town on a hillside that I stumbled across a couple of days ago. It's a beautiful location overlooking the Adriatic. And I think the Canadians suffered over a thousand casualties, death, well, deaths here and their number. I don't know on the German side, it, it was probably more. Um, but it's really left its scar on, 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 um, on this part of Italy. But, um, you know, that's, 
That was, that, well, I mean, that was 1943, so that's exactly 80 years ago, isn't it? Wow. No, I think, I think that's one of the things that, that you, you excel at, Ned, is finding out the rich history, often problematic, difficult histories of the places we pass through. And that's, what, that's one of the reasons I love this race so much. It's not just about the bike race. Yeah. It's about the places we pass through and the people that pass through these places years before we had as well. So it's, it's such a rich race. Yeah. And uh, we just, we've just gone through with our highlighters, which is always we very have. important. And, yeah. and we've kind of noted that the hitters... So in terms of the general classification and the stage win, although those two overlap massively, don't yeah. they, with the two big favourites, Roglic and Evenepoel, either of whom could win the, the stage easily. There are little clusters, aren't they? There little are clusters, clusters of, of, of riders. And there's a ridiculously rich cluster, which I wouldn't... They're going to have to put all of the motos around... You can't not have TV cameras on these four riders, can you? Roglic, Evenepoel, Ganna Kung. and Kung, yeah. all going off within a minute. I was told, wrongly, that they were going off at a couple of minute intervals, but you're going to have Evnopol and, and Roglic within a minute of each other in the opening TT, which, as I said before, is not an insignificant distance. And one of the early starters, and I think we're both going to look out for him, is, is uh, Charlie Quarterman, yes. who uh, we heard from in the pod. Well, you didn't hear it, but I, I, our listeners will have heard it in the pod yesterday. Uh, Charlie sent me a voicemail um, overnight uh, uh, detailing his experience of the team presentation and what he was given. So this is the latest from uh, Charlie Quarterman. Last night we had the uh, team presentation, which was actually an amazing experience to to be in front of all these crowds and the cameras and the bright lights. It felt a little bit like being a, a rock star. Well, yeah, uh, one of the rock stars, but even if we're just one, uh, I was one person out of 180 or so. It was quite amazing. The only disappointment was that once we rolled off the stage and we were given we were given a, a parcel, which obviously raised my hopes because uh, I'd heard that in Tour de France they, they often give watches or big medals to, to kind of mark the occasion. And we actually got a, a pair of boxes and a plain white T-shirt. I mean, it's lovely. I'll, I'll definitely think about the Giro when I wear these, uh, these, these briefs, but... Um, yeah, it's not quite so glamorous, and I, I wonder what it means if they, if they don't think we're able to, to dress ourselves. Anyway, I'm enjoying the last day of, of calm before the storm. Tomorrow, uh, tomorrow's kickoff, um, and I used this one last opportunity to to impose my my Britishness on the team. Um, I've quite often been told off for, for having a, a cappuccino after eleven o'clock in the morning, but I I, I insist on my uh, on on this little habit of the tradition and uh, I mean why wouldn't you this is madness this rule of uh, 11 o'clock when it's just nicer to drink this uh, drink with a bit of milk anyway it's good to uh, good to remind them that I, I'm not Italian despite my very convincing Italian accent um, and, and that's me really so we'll see how things go tomorrow ciao Wouldn't normally, wouldn't normally pod about food, but in this, uh, we've got to make an exception because um, Matt and I, we've got an hour to go till the um, the uh, uh, the start of the international signal, um, and we've made our way to the, the 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 waterfront essentially. So we're up on the hilltop town of Ortona, and actually it is the old town's much more extensive than I suggested earlier. Um, but we sat down on a beautiful terrace um, at a restaurant, and um, we've ordered the local speciality, Matt, haven't we? Which was very good. Yeah, it uh, the, the the specialities, lots of. Um, motifs knocking about and uh, little cuddly toys um, of crabs. We saw one earlier on, it's mentioned in the, just in the 
previous section of the pod, depending on how you edit this? Well, if you rewind it, you can listen back to that section. It's probably about two, two or three minutes back, yeah. um, and we mentioned a crab. So picking up on that point, just to just set a bit of added context. But So we opted for crab, so spaghetti um, with crab, and we, it's quite a small crab, and I think we had half of possibly the same crab each. Yeah. Um, but the only utensils we were given... Uh, or tools was a, a, a regular fork, so a fork that you could pick up at any at any kitchen shop uh, throughout the world. Just a fork, and nothing else. Not one of those tiny little forks that you use with lobsters or crabs. And they were just looking at each other. There wasn't a lot of meat. The spaghetti was quite tasty. And ultimately, we end up. I broke the claw where a lot of the white meat is. That was successful. But then the aperture that I had was so small I couldn't get it out then next thing I heard was this enormous crunch I glanced to my right to see Ned with the claw in his mouth using his own teeth to break the crab claw and then lost releasing the meat but it exploded and it's actually this spattered looked oh, like no. over his t-shirt <laughs> yeah, uh, and the napkins that we use are they, they are look like it's like there's been a murder uh, it's <laughs> sauce everywhere but exceptionally tasty but the crab meat was essentially just decorative really wasn't it yeah. crabicide It's your reward for waiting, folks. Spring is winding down, summer is around the corner in Italy, and the Giro d'Italia, the first grand tour of the year, is about to get underway. No one knows what the future holds, but we all know the lessons of the past. In 105 previous editions, it has always been an insanely challenging, wildly uncontrollable, exceptionally dramatic, and very, very beautiful race. Expect no less from the next three weeks. It's business as usual at the Giro d'Italia, and last year's edition is the best possible way to prove this Well, uh, the fact that I've had to insert a little bit of music there, a little jingle, after the introduction that I recorded means that I completely forgot to record any more commentary because I was kind of concentrating on the time trial. It was great commentary. Oh, thank you very much. I enjoyed commentating today. It was good fun. It, It... it's three hours of commentary, but it went really quickly. Yeah, and we neither of us went went for a toilet break either. We neither we normally leave the booth once or twice, but we didn't. We, that's that's very true. Uh, which yeah, it's, it's quite instructive really. But no, a great stage. We thought we knew who was going to win, but the the time gaps today. I mean, uh, Remco Evenepoel is on fire, wasn't he? That was one of the best performances in a TT he's ever put out. Uh, and I, if I was pretty much Roglic now, I'd be scratching my head and wondering what I'm up against. But of course, this race is long. It could all change. But what a start by the, by him! I mean, Roglic finds himself. Never mind Avon Pool. It's kind of obvious how good he is, and, and you know, you know, Roglic is the one that intrigues me now because he finds himself like off the podium places provisionally after a stage in which you you'd have thought he'd have been first or second on on, the, on this very nascent GC. He's not even on the podium at the moment, so he's been beaten by Joao Almeida by Theo Gegenhardt. Yeah, I mean, I think. Firstly, we've got to say that what a ride by Almeida, what a ride by Teo as well. Massive, massive. They were big, 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 big rides of riders with still a lot to prove. Um, but, yeah, he's going to, I thought the top three was, was going to be Evnepol, Ghana and Roglic, or a, some sort of permutation, and it wasn't the case. And 45 seconds is a lot of the pace. But, yeah, another two riders who are considered second-tier favourites to beat Roglic 
by no, quarter, 10, 15 seconds um, in, in a Murdy's case. Um, I think it was such a relatively disappointing performance by Roglic that we were thinking out loud during the commentary, is he riding a negative split? Yeah. Because it was, it was, but it, it was clearly, he wasn't on a great day. I think he was on, maybe he was on an okay day because he still finished fifth, sixth, fifth or sixth. But, but he was up against an incredibly strong um, Evnipol. And the post-race interview was again, really informative and you picked up on it immediately. What about the rest of the race? I'm now looking forward to maybe losing it on stage three or four and then the next time trial. Nothing about the, the other hilltop finishes. Yeah. It says, no, we're going to go again, go for the jugger in, in the next time trial, which is 30 Ks, another 10 Ks, simple maths. He, he could take a minute, minute 20, minute and a half out of Roglic. I mean, the intriguing thing is, we're going to have plenty of time to discuss this, but, but you know, I looked, at, I looked at Almeida's position and Gegenhardt's position on the podium and extrapolated further forward, and that I thought, well, oh, that could have a deadening effect on the race to some extent, because probably, well, no, definitely. I think Almeida and Gegenhardt would kind of be all right with finishing on the podium in Rome, like unless they really think they can. Unless they, well, let's see how it goes. But the interesting one is Jumbo Visma now, because they're not going to want to finish on. Like, well, they're not going to want to finish fourth, and they're not going to really want to finish on the podium. So they've got to do something, haven't they? They've got to attack um, Sudar Quickstep at every given point if they can. But have they got the team to do it? I don't know. The the two teams that have the most capacity to tear this race apart are Ineos yes. and the UAE. I think so. Um, and they're not, they're not going to certainly work together, but Almeida and Teogegen Hart have got a lot of mutual respect. They were teammates back in the Action Bergen days. They know each other very well. And, and I think they need to be bold. And I think not yet, not for a few days, yeah. but they're going to have to throw some curveballs up the road and, and, and force um, Sudar Quickstep to chase. And although we, we've, like, Sudar Quickstep are, are a good team, they're new to this. Okay, they've won the Vuelta, yeah. um, but the final week of this race is, is is harder than most Grand Tours, we know. Densely packed with climbs, ridiculous altitude, um, and we've never seen Evnipol ride on that sort of terrain, so it's going to be a voyage of discovery, not just for him, but for his team. But Ineos Grenadiers have done that before. UEE have done it a bit in the past as well. Um, Roglic has done it, although three out of the four Grand Tours he's ridden, he's, he's not finished. So it's, there's, but again, it, it's, um, but this is day one and we've got so many talking points, yeah. so much to draw out of this. But sometimes I think extrapolating is a dangerous game. Yeah. Don't extrapolate, you've just got to wait until the final week to see when people capitulate and, and then take advantage there. But it's, it's exciting, I'm buzzing, I really am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sketchiest moment in commentary. And also, what did you think of these? I bought, I bought two packs of 99 cent, um, they're called concilia mix, aren't they? And they're basically dr dried fruits. I think there was some banana in there, some pineapple, dried pineapple, which is quite nice, some coconut. raisins, and quite a lot of coconut lot flakes. Coconut. But I don't know what I think about the coconut flakes. I just kind of powered through those bits, but I really you enjoyed it. You finished your pack, did you? I did it, I, did it. I, did, I devoured them. It was a really, no sweets. Yeah. High quality nonsense, actually, Ned. Yeah. Yeah. And at 99 cents, an absolute bargain. Did you not find the coconut fl flakes a little bit dry, a little bit kind of cl cl claggy almost, quite difficult to eat? Like, and also get stuck in your throat a little bit, which is dangerous if, you, if you know, you've got to commentate in seconds later. I, I think, I'll be, I'll be brutally honest, a totally unnecessary addition to that particular mix. Uh, I think you could do without the coconut. You could do without the coconut completely. It's a filler, isn't it? It's a filler. It's just maybe it's a cheap substitute for something else. 
But worst, worst moment in commentary for me was the back end when you duly threw to me well, to so say, Matt, stage two. Do all the podiums and then let's have a look at stage two. And I normally just hand over to you there because I've done a lot of speaking at that point. And I, I see you got the page out, so you know what's wrong. coming. But you had a bit of a brain fart, didn't you? You thought that the tomorrow stage starts at San Salvo and goes north and finishes in Teramo. Because of the, the, co the colour coding. Red start for me, green finish. No! But, but, but traffic lights, right? Red means stop. Right, and green means, conversely, go. And you were an ex, you were a copper for many yeah. years. And in fact, you worked in the traffic division, didn't no, you? I didn't. No, I didn't. That, that, oh, well, that's why. probably why you don't. No, know. I, I, I didn't work in. No, basically, I completely transposed the start and finish. So we had the, we had, we had, the, <laughs> we had the graphics going, and I actually said we start in San Salvo and head north. Then the graphics started up, animating and south. Started it, and it started to go south. And I was looking through, looking at you for some help. Like, have I? Is it the wrong stage? Then got midway through. But you panicked me. You were so panicked. You looked at me with such a look of fear and panic in yeah. your eyes that I got slightly panicked. And then I looked at that and I literally it, couldn't see anything wrong. Right. I was going, it's right, man. And then my brain suddenly kicked in yep. after several kind of false starts and I picked it up. And I did actually, it was a one stage, but I think my final line almost didn't quite kind of, you know, didn't uh, mitigate the damage that I'd already caused to my own reputation, but uh, it, a five star finish. Which is kind of correct. So I was, I was quite happy with the final flourish. Yeah. yeah. But no, that is embarrassing. But hey, it's, it's early days and I think we can make that back up over the next 20 stages. Um, my message to the organisers of the Giro d'Italia is turn the bloody music down! <laughs> Ned, how was the first day? Ah, uh, it was all right, you know, it, but it was a torrent of information. You know what time trials are like. Uh, it was just overwhelming from start to finish. Ah, but it was all right. I, I reached a conclusion about time trials today that it's, um, the penny only just dropped, David, that actually I quite enjoy commentating on time trials. I find them really challenging. No. I, in a funny way. That's the first time I've ever heard you say that. But I think it's true. I, there's so much going on. You know, you're just constantly on edge. So the three hours passed very quickly today because you just have to be on it. If The moment you just sort of sit back and let events wash over you, you lose track of what's going on. You lose the threads completely. Can you can you explain to the listener the amount of data screen? What, what are you using? Procycling stats as well as the actual organisation feed as well as... The, for whatever oh, reason, because they're an outstanding website um, that we use all the time. I don't think it's, it's an open secret that commentators use mm. pro cycling stats all the time because they're brilliant. For some reason, their live page today was very slow. So it was useless, effectively, for a commentator, for a comment, for everyone else. It's perfect. Yeah, I, noticed, I was following it as well. I noticed that as well. It was minutes, was behind, it was minutes behind the action. So effectively, for me, it was useless. Um, so that resource was kind of taken away from me. Um, so I was, I, I, I have a kind of like data screen, which is touch screen in front of me, which the organization actually provide for me, which was much faster, but it's, it was formatted in this completely impenetrable way. So every time I stared at it, I was just coming out with the wrong information because I didn't understand what I was looking at. Um, but I thought the coverage today was really good and it, there was a lot going on, especially when you had Evenepoel, Roglic, Kung and Ghana all off within a minute of each other. Um, yeah. It was uh, there was a lot going on. But I got to, I turned it, I watched a little bit at the beginning, yeah, and then was out doing Saturday kids stuff, and then came back, managed to wangle a visit back just in time to witness Remco on the road. But I'd missed 
Jao Almeida, yeah, because he did a stormer, and more importantly, surprise of the day, Gegenhardt. I decided, yeah, Gegenhardt. I was I'd missed that completely. So when I looked at the results and saw he was fourth, I was like, what? Yeah, the hell? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that's he was only what f- not far off Ghana, really. No, in the grand scheme. Yeah, I mean, it was an uh, it was an it was an uh, it was. Arguably one of the rides of his life. I mean, I know he's he's won three uphill finishes so far, and he's sealed the you know the GC of the Tour of the Alps. But that time trial, I mean, I know Ger- Geraint Thomas has been scratching for form, but uh, but still to put time into Geraint Thomas, um, yeah. and to be and to, well, he beat Primoz Roglic. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it was uh, it was a really fantastic time trial from Theo Gegenhardt. A brilliant time trial from. Um, from Jao Almeida as well. And those two sit effectively on, you know, the GC riders, they're in mm. second and third position. So Gegenhardt after one stage, if you like, is on the virtual podium of the GC riders as Ghana will fall away. Yeah. And, and, and Primoz Roglic isn't. So it's kind of no. like um, deeply, uh, 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 43 seconds is Roglic's disadvantage to Remco. It's, huge. it's a lot. Uh, something, look, it's a lot. something looked wrong with Roglic today. I mean, Matt and I were kind of speculating that maybe he was riding some sort of a weird negative split with, you know, his history with time trials that have flat approaches to an uphill finish. I wondered whether he'd overcomplicated it and was kind of saving a lot. And there was a shred of evidence for that because actually he rode the climb itself in roughly the same time as Remco, but too late. It was so late on though. It was too late. Too late and it wasn't that much of a climb, you know. Because even like, because I noticed, because Remco basically had obviously hammered it the whole time. So I saw the pre-race, uh, sorry, the post-race interview, and he was saying that he'd called in the team bus that it would take twenty-one thirty to win it. <laughs> Legend. So it was twenty-one seventeen and wins it, and twenty-one thirty would have won it, wouldn't uh, yeah. it? But it's just, yeah, 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 yeah by, by a second or two, it. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that that goes to show as well just how well he understands the race. Yeah, and kind of the science because to be able to predict that's not easy to do. Yeah, and for him to kind of predict it and then know what he had to do, yeah, was pretty bonkers. But, but I noticed as well that he'd taken all that time because I think he did it the same time from the bottom of the climb to the finish as Almeida, or even lost a second. Yeah, so he it was kind w- of I don't think there was any time to gain on that climb by the end of that. No, he wasn't the fastest on the climb, and the fastest on the climb was 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 Brandon McNulty. Who, um, uh, who, who I think must have targeted the King of the Mountains competition, because he, but he was so fast that in the end it was kind of like he almost accidentally won it. <laughs> I mean, he finished top ten in huh. the end, but but he. Well, that's the thing. He smashed that's the it kind up of the climb. dark horse because mm. UAE have well, they have Almeida in third at twenty nine seconds, G- then Jay, Jay Vine, Vine yep. at seventh, and then McNulty at eighth. I mean, that's a. They they already saying that they're kind of they're the team that want to kind of rip it up I mean they have kind of heavy weaponry to do it Jumbo Visma in such dire straits I think they right are now. I think they are I think yeah. they are I it's mean, almost like the rest of the team have done a, a rog glitch just before the race yeah yeah uh, my, 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 well. my slight fear well there's a couple of things to say my slight fear is that I don't know I think I don't know I think Teo Gagan Hart if, if you said Teo the Giro ends now you're third He'd probably go. Mm. That that's brilliant. I'll, I'll have that because it kind of cements his reputation as a yeah. as a Grand Tour hitter. He probably knows. Mm. He probably knows. Although he's got 
you know, cast iron confidence, Theo Gegenhardt. That, mm. that shouldn't be underestimated. But he probably knows that trying to dethrone Evenepoel in this race is probably beyond the reach of him and his team. So what's the point in jeopardising your third place? So my slight fear is that Gegenhardt will ride for the podium and, and so will Ineos. And, and, and that might be true of Almeida because don't forget, Almeida's not finished on the podium of, of this race. And, and second, second behind Evenepoel would be... A, the marvelous results, and and I, I don't, don't know. I think you're. I think you're being very un- negative there, Ned. I hope I, I am. You're being. I hope I am. I think everyone's so. No one wants to take Remco on, kind of head to head. So when you've got a team as strong as UAE, they they're going to have to do something that's a little bit wild. And you'd like to think that Ineos and even, I mean, because I saw as well the post race interview from Teo, and God, I wish he'd smile occasionally. I didn't see that. What did he say? What did he say? It was very um, robotic. Mm. He was almost using kind of scientific terms, executed the plan, etc. That sort of language. Well, he's in game mode, isn't he? He's in like he's in. F- I mean, full game mode. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of like just box ticked. It was that classic sort of uh, box ticked. Mm. Executed the plan. Everything went exactly how he expected. La di da, and and so I don't know if that is. I think is. I think he's got something to prove. I mean, I know he's got something to prove. I think we know that. And I think he's not going to just kind of take it. I think he'd, the confidence, as you say, is so ironclad that he'd take the three weeks rather than sign it off now. Yeah, I'm take the punts. I'm being ridiculous. It's stage one, but but that the <laughs> we're allowed to do that. But the gulf, yeah. the gulf between Remco and everyone else was, you know, uh, uh, with respect to how brilliantly Almeida and Gegenhardt in, mm. in particular rode, w- was was fr- was frightening. It was frightening. Mm. And so a couple of things I noticed about Remco's demeanor afterwards. One was um, what a changed man he is from two years ago where he came, oh. to, the, where he came to the Giro as his kid who literally his first race back after that terrible injury in Lombardia mm. and it was way too early for him and he just, you know, his, it, that's his only kind of setback in his young career was that Giro, wasn't it? And to come back mm. to the scene of the crime and go uh, and do, do what he did today yeah. was, was an immense performance. But yeah. he also quite specifically talking about the rest of the race, said he, he instantly flagged up of his own volition the next time trial. He said, take it easy, you know, c- keep within us next time mm. trial. So I think he is thinking, bank as much time as I can in these time in these two flattish time, tri- the two mm. flat time trials, because perhaps he knows that he is potentially vulnerable in the colossal amount of climbing in the high mountains still mm. to come, which is still kind of... I know he's won the Vuelta, but it's still the Alps and the Dolomites and the snow and the altitude, the potential for wet descents, you know, yeah. and that fragility that he has been exposed for having occasionally. I think he just needs to mm. think, he needs to be so far ahead because he thinks that he will lose time in the mountains or he's aware that that's yeah. possible. I mean, it's... I think he's, I think he's got to go like that. I mean, especially after um, Tadej Pogacar's Tour de France last year. You know, you have to bank all that time. I mean, that's, in a way, that's the classic Grand Tour. I mean, he also said that they contemplate losing the jersey on stage four. But why would you when you've got to get as big a buffer as possible to account for that bad day or the day that the race just does go absolutely bananas and your team can't hold it together? Mm. So you would think that just keep going, just keep trying to get as much time and it would make sense, because especially when you look at the results. I was just looking again there. What's I mean, he averaged 55 kilometers an hour to win. Insane. So 
it's insane. But if you look at the top 10, so that's an incredibly fast time trial. But they're all the best climbers in the race that are in the top 10. You know, it's normally you expect a lot of the kind of the GC races or one of them to drop off. Yeah. But when you're seeing Almeida, Theo Gegenhardt, Jay Vine, McNulty, Roglic, they're all there in the top 10 in a time trial that's Vlas- incredibly Vlasov. fast time trial. Vlasov was there just about in the yeah. top 10. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, in 10th. Yeah. yeah. So it's, they're, they're all there and they're all firing on all cylinders. So it's, uh, there's a lot there just waiting in the wings if, if there is something happens. Mm. So yeah, he's got to, I, yeah, I agree, he's got to just get as much as he can, as often as he can. Mm, mm, mm. Do you know, mm. another observation, like this is very race heavy. This is like a serious this cycling pod. Yeah, but one, one, more, one more bit of punditry here, David. It is interesting, isn't it, that the two favorites, okay, let's, let's, let's keep calling Roglic one of the two favorites, even despite what happened today, because yeah. actually he climbed that climb very well and maybe there's more to come and I'm mm. sure there is. Um, but the two big teams, Sudal Quickstep and Jumbo Visma, um, with the two big pre-race favourites, don't have the strongest teams. The strongest teams as a collective belong to Ineos, EF, arguably, potentially, um, Bora Hansgrohe, and definitely, as you've indicated, UAE. And that's really mm. interesting, isn't it? I can't remember the last time the favourites to win a Grand Tour didn't have the strongest teams. Yeah, that's true. That's quite, that is, that is quite interesting. Lots, Sudal, Quickstep are potentially there to be exposed a little bit. They're and all of those those teams all have number two, number three riders, don't they? Who are good to go. Absolutely. I mean, you some know, of them, you know, some of them fell away a little bit today. Two. They, You know, yeah. Jack Haig lost an unconscionable amount of time, you know, and mm. so... They took a bit of their took a bit of a knock that that that, that sort of principle today already. I mm. mean, the time gaps were bigger than I thought they would be on that time trial, but there we go. Yeah, um, huh. yeah. I don't anyway, know. What to, I don't know what to think about today, apart from your man was, you know, ah, uh, yeah. just nails it, doesn't he? Yeah. It's, it's it's incredible. He looks like I loved his, his one of his quotes in that post race interview was, "Yeah, I just found my gear and just kept the same cadence." It's basically he just put in his biggest gear and just pedaled fast. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he averaged fifty eight kilometers an hour to the first time check, and yeah. put and that was a kilometer an hour faster than Ghana. Yeah, yeah. On that pan flat. So it's like, he's, yeah, yeah, I just found the right gear and just kept it at the same cadence. It's literally just put everything to the right and just pedaled as fast as he could. My it's God. like, what? Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's but funny, yeah. here's a, a, how, how you can actually see from a, ride, a rider, just, you know, you can tell they're going fast sometimes. Yeah. And he just looked so fast yeah, to me. You and can. Every time the camera cut mm. back to Primoz Roglic, it just looked difficult. You know, you can just... A little just bit more laboured. Yeah, 100%. another thing, and just and this is just time trial geekiness as well. Mm. And going back to Teo, go for it, yeah, because Teo's always had this habit of of kind of overgearing himself, and kind of when it gets tough, he starts to labour. But in that final K today, his cadence went up to like a hundred. You know, it's completely. It was a lot of technique there that he's never had before. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's interesting to see. He's actually riding with a real technique there, which is against his yeah. natural style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's clearly something he's worked on a lot. Yeah, yeah. Hey, listen, a lot of yeah. people will be listening to this podcast tomorrow, David, and they'll mm. want to know what um, stage two looks like. It's flat. It's 202 kilometers. There's a couple of category four climbs. It goes along the coast, potentially into a light headwind, and it ends on the seafront on a big, well, actually our hotel, the Hotel Milano here, which is um, a, a grotesque place. <laughs> 
but um, it, we're, we're, we're a stone's throw from where it's going to finish tomorrow. It's going to be a bunch sprint tomorrow. And um, Mark Cavendish uh, will be heavily involved in that. Do you know what was humbling today? They didn't show him. Not on the start ramp, not finishing. Not once. Not once. Not once Ooh. was Mark Cavendish like, and that's not that's not what happens to Mark Cavendish. Even in an opening oh, time wow. trial, you, you sort of show that he's there, don't you? You know, yeah, yeah just acknowledge his existence. <laughs> yeah. huh. Exactly, but yeah, Jeez. big, big, big day for him Times tomorrow. Change. Big day for him tomorrow. Very good. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah, it's very racy. How was the rest of your day? You had a good day then. A really good day. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, we had a, an amazing lunch. Um, that we talk about this pod. So um, the bit you haven't yeah. heard is the bit that went before. Matt is in great form, as you can imagine. He he and I, I ate a, a bowl of pa- a spaghetti this morning with half a crab. We think it was the same crab cut in half, just placed on top. And the technicalities of getting the crab meat out of the crab were something to behold. Um, but uh, hmm. but yeah, we only had half an hour's drive at the end of today's stage. Hence why oh, it's possible. Yeah, winning. I know, I know, I know. But also, it's a bit like... You know, you know when oh, you, you've lived in Spain so long, this is scarcely relevant to you. But in Britain, when it gets to like October or late September, and you suddenly get a day of like really warm sunshine that can happen in September, and you go oh, Indian like, summer style, Indian summer style, and you can't, I can't really enjoy it because everything about it says it's so fragile, and it's like. I can't really relax and enjoy this because I know it's just it's slightly false, and things are things are about <laughs> to get a lot worse. Yeah, today today has been that yeah. on the on the ground. So I can't really, really enjoy the fact just, that the transfer was so short. I can't embrace it because I know it's like it's, and you started in a unreal. lovely hotel. Yeah, you didn't even did you you didn't even enjoy that at Bex. You were just yeah. embracing the future. Yeah, yeah. Let it go. Let's take it day by day. Let it go. Hey, um. Can I can I do something a bit shameless? Yeah. I've, I'm just checking my mentions on Twitter, and a guy called three hours ago, a user called at the underscore magic torch, who goes by the name Jamie, wrote this. Ned, I know you hate being a self, you hate being a self publicist, but I really think you should mention on here and on Never Strays Far that you've been deservedly nominated for the Sports Entertainment Book of the Year. That's for Square Peg Round Ball, my football book, uh, which is voted for what? by, which is voted for by the public, <laughs> at the oh. link, at the link below. So can we do a bit of like? I know none of you listeners have actually read it. I know that because it's been reflected in the book sales, which are in the dozens. I've literally sold dozens of these of these books. <laughs> so I know I know that none of you have read it, but. Can you? I know we're getting you know tens of thousands of, of downloads. Um, can you possibly pretend that you've read it, yeah, and that you enjoyed it, and that you you, you think it's worth voting for? And can you follow the link in the show notes to the sportsbookawards.com and may, maybe stick in a little vote for me? Do you think that's like out of order, David? No, Ned. Let's do it. I'm in. Please, listeners, go to the link in the show notes and vote for Ned. Vote for Ned. Vote Ned. Yeah. It's well, like, it's an election. I think that's a, yeah. it's, it's a book written with love. And it's a, I, think it's, I think it deserves to win. Thank and you. you deserve to win, Ned. <laughs> Thank you very much, David. And so also, listeners, reiterate, vote. All right. Okay. So that's some... Yeah. That's that, what well, we did, a preview pod. We've done stage one pod. Yeah. I'm going to edit it together. I know. Upload it. And we have started pretty damn well. Maybe not quite as well as Remco, but we're off up and running, aren't we? We are. Good luck, Ned. Ciao. Godspeed. Ciao, Davide.
Ciao, Ned.